0: I want to begin today with a question. And uh, that question is this What do engineers, lawyers, doctors, psychologists, CPAs, and private investigators have in common? The answer is not Jesus. This is not one of those kind of questions. The thing they all have in common is they call what they do a practice. Now, I always thought of doctors and lawyers as a practice. I'm married to a lawyer, so I'm used to that. But I had no idea how many different vocations and careers refer to their work as a practice. And I've always appreciated this concept of practice. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that the people in those vocations have a spirit of humility always. We, we all know that. Um, But but the truth is, when they start in this work, there's preparation, there's a certification, there's an exam, and then for many of the professions on this list right here, there's a number of ongoing requirements to keep that license, to stay in that profession, to be able to do the work that they do. And all of those go into this idea of a practice and ongoing growth and learning. Now, you might be not be surprised why that's relevant because we're in a series right now called Practices. We're talking about what are those things that we can do as followers of Jesus that help us to grow in our relationship with Jesus that are within our power to do. There's lots of things that aren't within our power to do, but there's some things that are. And so last week we started the series talking about There are some basic practices that we can do, and we introduced one, and a couple of the reminders I wanted to go back to from last week, if you weren't here, was that practices don't save us or make God love us more. Those of us who are performers or perfectionists or who like to get everything right, we need to remind ourselves that this is not a a game or a performance where we're trying to earn God's love, Um, and we also want to remind each other that these take time and patience, I have, I have three kids and, uh, on many occasions, each of them have gotten frustrated that when they started something new, they weren't instantly good at it. They were like, ah, oh, this is, you know, and I'm like, you just tried this for the very first time. You are not going to kill it the very first time. And some of us, we bring that kind of idea to spiritual practices. If we don't feel good at it right away, or we're awkward, or we see other people maybe who it comes easier to, we tend to get discouraged. And I just want to remind you that these things we're talking about, they're going to take time. And patience last week, if you were here, we kicked off the series talking about meditation, and we said meditation isn 't about mastering a method it 's about meeting God in his word, and we introduced a tool called Lectio Divina to encourage you to meditate on scripture and uh, hope that you took advantage of doing that if you 're here in the room and missed it we 've got some extra copies of that out in the lobby you could pick up on your way home but today we 're going to move into the second practice in this series, and the second practice in this series is going to be prayer as conversation. Now prayer is a massive topic. I could spend every sermon between now and 2023 talking about prayer and I wouldn't even scratch the surface. I mean it is a topic of incredible breadth and depth. And so there's lots of places I could go with prayer. We could talk about uh, intercession prayer, and we have a great intercessory prayer team. They meet on Tuesday mornings. There's a prayer list that goes out, and if you're interested in either one of those, we encourage you to head out to the lobby and check with the connection table there. But today we're going to talk about prayer as conversation. And before I introduce the big idea, I just want to acknowledge that sometimes— as a pastor, I see responses or I've been where you are when the topic of prayer comes up and I can feel the inward groan. Sometimes it's like, oh, prayer again. Um, and so if, if you're somebody who's had a hard time with prayer, you struggle with prayer, if you've been around here any period of time, I tend to shoot straight and I tend to come for those people who have a hard time and struggle with things who are cynics. So if that's you, just hang in there. I'm going to get to you today. So here's the big idea we're going to talk about this morning, that relationships grow through conversation, especially our relationship with God. If you're in a relationship with anyone, a person or God, and there's no talking and there's no listening, that relationship is not growing. It's probably atrophying. All relationships grow through conversation, especially our relationship with God. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about four realities about conversation and prayer, about God and prayer and us. And if you're taking notes, here's the first one. Jesus gave us a vision of conversational intimacy with God. Conversational intimacy, that's a phrase we're going to talk a lot about this morning. So if you have your Bible with you today... I want to encourage you to open up to the book of Matthew chapter 22. We're going to be, sorry, Luke chapter 22. I messed that one up. Luke chapter 22. We're actually going to be in this passage in a couple weeks here and there talking about different dynamics in this text. But if you're new to the Bible, Luke is one of the accounts of the life and teaching of Jesus. Luke wasn't actually there. This is not an eyewitness account from him. It is his record of other people's eyewitnesses accounts that he wrote for a young man that he knew named Theophilus. And Luke was a doctor, and so he researched this. And in Luke 22, we're right here in the middle of the final week of the life of Jesus. And this moment of prayer happens that I think is instructive or gives us a vision that's helpful for us. And I want to invite you to stand as we read God's Word together this morning. If you don't have a copy of the Bible. You can just watch on the screen. It begins with the word he and that he is Jesus. Jesus went out and made his way as usual. So that's a different color for a reason. We'll come back to that. To the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. And when he reached the place, he told them, pray that you may not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. He knelt down and he began to pray. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours, be done. Then an angel appeared from heaven to strengthen him. Being in anguish, he prayed even more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus, we pray that we might meet you in a conversation today, that we might grow in our relationship with you. And that we might hear you speak to us even as we pour our hearts out to you. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. In your name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Now, I'm not saying in this idea that Jesus gives us a vision of conversational intimacy that I expect, or even Jesus expects, you to bleed through your prayers and be really clear on that. What Jesus does here, we now understand scientifically, is that the capillaries in his forehead burst because of the intense stress, anguish, and anxiety he had about going to the cross. They mixed with his sweat glands, and he began to sweat drops of blood in prayer. And that's not the vision part, but what we do see here in Luke twenty two and in other places is that Jesus has a tremendously honest relationship with his father, and he has a conversation with him about everything that he's going on and all the things that he's feeling. And earlier in Luke 22, 39, we saw a phrase that said, as usual. In another place in Luke 5:16, Luke writes, Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. It was the custom of Jesus. It was the usual pattern of Jesus to pull away and have a conversation with his father that was real and honest and true. And Jesus didn't wait for a beautiful moment when everything was going well. He didn't wait for an idyllic, uh, Location, a beautiful place to pray, it says that he often went to deserted places, barren places, wilderness places, and there he had a conversation with God. And I think this should be instructive for us that that Jesus had an ongoing, recurring, sustained conversation with his Father about anything and everything. So if you're somebody who's maybe new to faith or you don't feel like you're really gifted at prayer, I want to encourage you to follow the vision of Jesus and the model of Jesus and just begin to talk about whatever it is that's on your heart that you're going through. Because if it's important to you, it's important to God. And if it's on your mind, he wants to hear about it from you in the same way that Jesus did. Sometimes we get this idea that we can only pray when the environment is right and we set everything up, we have that candle going, you know, we just feel right, we've got this great, beautiful vista, and yet what we see with Jesus is that you don't need beautiful places or flowery language, what you need to do is to pursue intimacy. Sometimes the moments that we meet God in the most intimate ways are the gnarliest places in our lives not the most beautiful places. And sometimes the the best prayers aren't the ones that have the most flowery language. They're the ones that are the most honest. Jesus once compared two people who were praying and one used really flowery language, but was really a hypocrite. And the other one was heartbroken and repentant. And he used very short, simple, to the point words. And he held that one up as the one to be honored because that one was really pursuing intimacy with God. Now, intimacy is a word that we define in lots of different ways, and I want to be sure we're on the same page. At its core, intimacy is simply knowing and being known. And because of this, intimacy can be found in every relationship. Sometimes we we treat intimacy as just a, a placeholder word for sex, and it's so much bigger than that. Intimacy is knowing someone and being known by them. Therefore, intimacy can and should happen in a marriage, but it can also happen in a friendship. It can also happen in a a relationship. It can happen with God. It can happen in a work context or a church context. Intimacy is simply that reciprocal knowing and being known, seeing and being seen. I love what Derwin Gray says. He says, into me is simply into me you see. It's allowing somebody to really see you really feeling seen by them. And it is that reality that strengthens and grows a relationship. Now, in my experience, there's two things that tend to create intimacy. Intimacy is built through conversations and shared experiences. If you think about the people who really know you, that you really know the two things that those relationships have in common is that you've had conversations and you've been through things together. You may have inside jokes. You may have gone on road trips. You may have gone through highs or lows together in life, but there are some shared experiences that have built a sense of knowing and being known, seeing and being seen. And there's been conversations that have happened where each person has shared things that led to being known and being seen. And Jesus gives us this vision of his life with his father that includes this kind of intimacy, where his conversation with his father is not just, oh, holy father, thou art, and I'm not against King James language, and sometimes there are moments for that language, but sometimes we find ourselves in a more stilted relationship with God than we find a more intimate one. And what Jesus does is he gives us this vision that as he's going through his life, usually, customarily, he's drawing away wherever he is. He's having a conversation with his father, and it's as honest and real as it gets. So that's the first reality. The second reality is this. The pattern of Jesus' prayers exposes what's missing in our own. Once we see this image that Jesus gives us in, in Luke and in other places, and we begin to hold it up against our own, that vision can begin to expose what's missing in our own. Because a lot of us, if we're honest, would say, "I, I don't feel that level of intimacy with God. I don't feel that level of honesty with God. I don't feel that sense of really being known and seen by him or really hearing from him. And so I want to talk, I said I was going to come for some of you who struggle with this. Let's talk about what some of our obstacles are to this. What stands in the way? Why don't we get there? What one reason is, is hurry. A lot of us live at such a pace that it's hard to actually have any relationship like this, much less our relationship with God. I love what Dallas Willard says. He says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Many of us live life at such a pace that no one can catch up to us, including God. We never slow down long enough for our life to be quiet enough to hear from God. Because if you read through the Bible, what you find is that God is not going to shout over your life. He's often whispering. And if your life is so fast and so loud, you'll often miss him. Now, you might say, Scott, that's really convenient for you to talk about. I mean, you get paid to pray maybe you can live a life without hurry, but my life is really full. It's busy. And that's the reality for some of us. Maybe it's our family. Maybe it's our work. Maybe it's the people we're caring for. Maybe it's the season that we're in. It's just a busy season. And I want to be really clear. Busy and hurry are different things. Busy is a product of your schedule. Hurry is a product of your heart. You ever been through a busy season where you were just rushing and literally speeding everywhere you went and then you went on vacation and you kept hurrying? Maybe you had a day where you were behind and so you were rushing everywhere you went and then you had a day off and you kept rushing? Over a decade ago, I worked at Starbucks and I I never worked long enough to get a lunch. I just got a ten. A 10-minute break, which is the, the worst thing in the world. I mean, it's nice to have a 10-minute break to breathe, but in that breathing, you had to eat, you had to go to the bath and check your phone. There just was so much to do. And so I started inhaling my food in that phase. I didn't chew. I just kind of massaged my esophagus to get it down. <laughs> and it's been over a decade since I donned that green apron at Starbucks. But I still eat fast. When we sit at the dinner table, my, my wife will be like, breathe. Let the, bat, the bite finish and get swallowed before you take a new one. It's been a decade, but hurry is still in my heart. For some of us, it's not hurry, it's distractions. We're so easily distracted in this era, and sometimes when we pause to pray, it feels like all of those distractions come at us even harder. And some of us feel shame around this. We go, man, I just, I cannot focus on God ever because my mind is so distracted. And if that's you, I want to encourage you with the words of Rich Valotis. He says, I used to believe distractions while in prayer was a sign I was a bad Christian. As it turns out, distraction in prayer is a sign that I'm a human being. If you get distracted, you're human. That's just the human reality. And I want to encourage you that if you battle distractions, there's two ways you can respond One, you can do what I do and keep a little pad next to me and just write it down and set it aside. Or you can embrace the distractions when they come. Like if you're praying and there's a worry or a fear that comes, don't shame yourself. Take that thing and turn it into a prayer. Because if it's enough to worry about, it's enough to pray about. If it's a burden on your heart, God wants you to pour it out to him. Third obstacle is comparison. I love... The ability our technology gives us. But the hard part is that it introduces some things into the dynamic of life that make it difficult. Earlier this week, I was going through and doing uh, my Lectio Divina, because I told you to do it, so I should do it, right? And I took a picture of it to post on my Instagram, and before I hit send, I said, Why am I doing this? I was like, I'm doing this because I want to encourage somebody who follows me who's at Cornerstone, or remind them, it's Wednesday, maybe they've forgotten, and it'll encourage them to do it. I said, okay, and I ended up hitting send, but then later I was like, was I really doing it to encourage them, or was I doing it to look good? There's a lot of what I call spiritual flexing happening on social media. We take a selfie of our quiet time, so other people will know we did a quiet time, or we compare our life with God to somebody else's, and, and so often what happens is we believe that God created us all uniquely, but we expect to copy his unique work in someone else. Somebody else connects with God in this way, and then we feel inadequate or we try to copy what works for them. And what God wants to do is something unique in you. And sometimes there's insecurity around all this because you don't pray like that person or you don't pray when they pray or you don't pray as long as they pray. For other us there's there's unspoken questions that get in the way. And if you're honest, the reason why you struggle with conversational intimacy with God is questions like this why did God allow that to happen? Or why didn't God allow that to happen? You know, what if I pray about this and God doesn't come through like I want Him to? What if God doesn't answer the prayer the way that you're hoping for or expecting? Or maybe you're asking the question, how could somebody who loves me and is sovereign over all the world allow this to occur? And for a lot of us, those questions begin bubbling up in us and they become obstacles to prayer. And then finally, there's just run-of-the-mill fear. And here's where I want to camp out for a little bit is talking about fear. This is the third point. Since sin entered the world, we have been afraid of intimacy with God. Fear in the context of prayer and intimacy with God is as old as humanity is. Because if you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, in the garden, there was real intimacy with God. It says that Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. It says in Genesis 2 that Adam and Eve were there and they were naked, but they were unashamed. But then sin entered the world and that intimacy between God and us and us and each other was shattered and we became afraid of intimacy with each other and intimacy with God. In Genesis 3, it says, So the Lord called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And that's the story that many of us experience today. We're afraid of being seen and known by God or someone else, so we hide from each other. We hide from God. We're afraid that if God really knew what was going on in our hearts and our minds, if God really knew what was happening before we started to pray, we'd be rejected and ashamed, and so we hide. We don't engage. We don't come to God in prayer. This isn't just a problem in the garden, though. It becomes a a problem for the people of Israel. Moses was this incredible leader, and he had this incredible intimacy with God. And it tells us in Exodus 33 that the Lord would speak with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. And then Moses would return to the camp. And if you've ever read Exodus, you know that that Moses' face would shine because of the glory of God. And literally the people asked him to wear a veil because God's presence on his face was so strong. But the people didn't want What Moses had experienced, they wanted Moses to go experience it and then come tell him about it. Earlier in Exodus, the people say, you speak to us and we will listen, they said to Moses, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. They they weren't just afraid of conversational intimacy. They didn't want it at all. And the people in that time were afraid of being in God's presence without a mediator. They wanted somebody else to go and listen to God, somebody else to have intimacy with God, somebody else to step into God's presence and then come and share the update with them. Like, give me the highlights. Tell me what God said. And I think there's a lot of Exodus 20 in our world today. I think a lot of us are afraid of being in God's presence without a mediator. The majority of people in the American faith community, evangelical community, engage God's presence through two mediators today, pastor sermons and devotionals. I'm not against either one of those. Let me just say this from the start. I did some math this week and I invested about 150,000 words in 2021 writing sermons and writing devotionals. I'm deeply invested in both. I believe in the power of both. But I don't just want you to be here on Sundays and hear a sermon. And I don't want you to find my devotionals online or somebody else's. I want you to have your own experience with God. And for many of us, what we're doing is we're having a mediated experience with God where we're listening to what God told someone else and we're taking it for ourselves. And we're never actually opening up His Word and having an experience with Him through His Word. And we're never actually stopping and praying ourselves to have a direct experience with God. We're just always having a mediated experience because honestly, that's safer. It's way safer. Because, friends, intimacy is risky. It doesn't matter what relationship we're talking about. Intimacy, being seen and being known, is risky. It feels uncomfortable. There is Adam and Eve still in us, afraid of somebody seeing us as we really are, and we're afraid. But the truth is, we can only be loved to the extent that we're known. And a God created us with this desire and longing to be loved and to love. It's one of the reasons why Jesus told us the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the passage I ended up by mistake in this morning earlier. That's Matthew 22. And many of us fear being known because we believe that if somebody really knew us, they'd reject us. So we'll only be loved to the extent that we're known, but we fear being known because we think being known means being rejected. And that plays out in all of our human relationships, and it plays out in our relationship with God. And so there are times where truthfully we're afraid of stepping into God's presence to pray because we're afraid if we step into God's presence, God's going to reject us for what we've done or what's in our heart. And yet that is not the truth of the gospel. It's the opposite of the gospel. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation, no rejection for the one who's in Christ Jesus. You see, it's only in Jesus that we are totally known and never rejected. It's only in Jesus that we are, before we even enter prayer, before we even enter that intimacy, he already knows everything about us. Every email you've ever sent, every text you've ever sent, every website you've ever been to, whether it was in incognito mode or not, Every thought you've had, every idle word you've spoken, every action you've ever contemplated, planned, or carried out, he knows it all. And he has already come for you as an eternal statement that he will never reject you. All of that is covered by his blood. And that's why he wants intimacy with you, because he already knows everything about you. And he wants you to know him to the depth that he knows you. One of the verses that sustained me through the craziness of the last two years is in Hebrews 4. The writer says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So everything that you've been through, Jesus knows what it's like to be in that place or to be through that circumstance. It says, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive and find grace for us to help us in our time of need. Jesus wants you to come to him. Because he has everything that you need for everything that you are facing. He wants you to enter into conversational intimacy with him in prayer. That he might meet all of your needs and meet you exactly where you are. And in the place where we're afraid of that, he invites us to step into that because he will not reject us. The fourth and final word I want to share with you today is that what we're afraid of is often what our soul longs for the most. What I've learned is that there are times where my fear is actually like a green light. We tend to treat fear like a red light, stop, don't go there, bad But so often what fear does is it's an indicator of something that's deeply desired in our lives and God uses us, uses that fear to draw us to him. You see, you and I were created for intimacy with God from the garden until now. And the thing that we fear the most being seen and known is what we were created for. We were created to be seen and known by our creator and to know him deeply. I love what Augustine says. It's in a little bit of a stilted translation, but he wrote 1500 years ago, thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. And when we find that intimacy with God, we find something that our soul longs for that we were created for. And so if you're like, Scott, I'm new to this. This is a lot to take in. Here's what I would encourage you. God meets us where we are. And when you distill it down to its essential element, prayer is talking to God and listening to him. Now, it gets a lot more complex than that. There's other tools, there's acronyms, there's books. I'm going to give you a tool later on in a couple minutes. But at its core, prayer is simply talking to God and listening to him. And we see in scripture that when people are willing to listen to God, he speaks. In 1 Samuel 3, there's a man named Eli. He's the kind of person you think God might speak to. He's the high priest. He's the leader of the people. And yet in 1 Samuel 3, a young boy, less than 10, named Samuel, he's the one who hears from God. Now it says, Samuel did not know the Lord because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. He didn't have this massive spiritual background. So if you're new to faith, Samuel's story is for you. It says, once again, for the third time, the Lord called to Samuel. He got up and he went to Eli, the guy who had all the answers. He said, here I am, you called me. Then Eli understood that the Lord was calling the boy. He said to Samuel, Go and lie down. If he calls you, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and he laid down in his place. And the Lord came and stood there and he called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel responded, Speak, for your servant is listening. And this is what God does again and again in the scriptures people who don't have all of the experience, people who haven't gotten all the training, people who you would think have no business hearing from God, have a heart and a desire to meet God and hear him and God speaks to them. And God begins speaking and they begin listening. And in that conversational intimacy, their relationship with God grows. I, uh, I've i told you guys before that I'm the Son of a pastor. So I have that blessing and that challenge in my life. It's helping me pastor my kids and raise them today. But I grew up in an era of church where uh, we had hymnals in every seat. So the hymns uh, that I grew up with were kind of the soundtrack of my childhood. And this week, as I was writing this message, I thought of a hymn that I grew up singing, and it's a hymn called He Lives. And if you grew up singing hymns, you may know this one. The first verse of the hymn begins like this. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. And I'm hearing some people follow along. And so I just want to invite you to maybe sing the chorus with me. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along that's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. I'm really glad you didn't abandon me to sing that on my own. <laughs> but that's the kind of intimacy God wants to have with you. He wants to walk with you and talk with you. Not just when life's amazing. He doesn't just want to hear from you when everything's awesome and to the right. A long life's narrow way. where it's hard? Where you want to give up? And so I just want to give you a reminder today. We're not trying in this series to master techniques. We're trying to build intimacy with God, a God who lives within our hearts and wants to know us and who wants to be known. So I want to give you some next steps this morning before we close. And here's the first one. I want you to get honest this week about your hang ups and your struggles with prayer. I'm assuming that you have them. I'm assuming that at some point you've struggled with prayer, you have something that's hard about prayer, something that keeps you from prayer at times, and I want to encourage you to get honest because what you cannot name, God cannot heal. So until you're honest about that, I don't believe you're going to experience God working in that area. Number two, I want you to embrace being a beginner when it comes to prayer. Even the people that I look up to who are prayer warriors, who I admire the way they pray, when I talk to them about prayer, they talk about how much room they have to grow. And if somebody's telling me they're a master at prayer, I am backing away from them as fast as I can, waiting for the lightning to strike. Because there's only one master at prayer. And it's the one we're talking to. And then third, third third step, I want to invite you to restart your prayer practice by completing the prayer of examine this week. Now, this is a tool that you're gonna get a little sheet about when you leave. It says a tool for prayer. And we'll have those for you here in this room as you leave. If you're watching online, you can head to our website, PrescottCornerstone.com. Go on the watch tab and click on the worship resources page. And there's a little button there that says service extras. And we've got a PDF of this for you today. But I want to walk you through this 500-year-old prayer. Now, often examine is done at the end of one day or the beginning of a day looking back on the previous day. And there's some steps to examine. The first one is preparation. Set aside all your potential distractions. Don't have the TV going while you're doing this. Put aside your computer and your phone. Get out a pen and paper. And then you begin to engage. You ask God to meet you during this time. You begin to express gratitude for the places where you've seen God's blessings and him working in your life. You spend time working through awareness Where did I see God at work today? What happened today? What am I feeling about it? You practice confession. What were the choices you made or the words you spoke or the opportunities you missed? You you surrender. What are the things that you're carrying that are the answer to when Jesus invites you to come, all who are weary laden, and he'll give you rest? What were the needs you encountered in other people that you can intercede for? And then you close with the Lord's prayer. And here's what I've found. What the prayer of examine does is it gives us awareness as we look back in the past of how God has worked. And in my life, what I've seen is as I gain more awareness of God's work in the past, it builds an anticipation in my heart of how God's going to work in the future. As I look at yesterday and see how God walked with me and how God provided I step into the next day, or I step into today going, man, there's some hard stuff in front of me. But if this is how God showed up then, how will God show up now? And I step into a new day looking to encounter God and already having a conversation with him. So I want to invite you to do that twice this week. And you'll get one of these before you head out. And again, I want to remind you the point isn't mastering the tool. The point is building intimacy with the one who knows you totally, and who's promised to never reject you. Let's pray, Jesus. We thank you so much for the fact that you invite us into your presence. You invite us to come to your throne of grace, that we might find what we need. Jesus, I know there are some people in this room, some who are watching online, who who have a a strong, strong prayer life with you. And I thank you for that. And I pray that that would touch the lives of so many as they continue that in 2022. But I also know that there are some who are just beginning in prayer. And I pray that, that you would build their confidence as they begin to just talk with you and pour their heart out about what they're going through and listen for you to speak to them through your word and through prayer. I pray for those who have wrestled in prayer, kind of written it off. They've got hang ups and struggles. And I pray that as they get honest about those this week, that you would meet them, that you do some inner healing in those places. They might get back in touch with the truth of your gospel and meet you in the place where you want to remind them of the safety of being known by you being accepted by you, being loved by you. Jesus, there are some burdens that we're carrying today about what's headed up in our lives or maybe what we're facing right now. And I pray that you would build in us this year a deep and real dependence on you. That we don't just need you during the hard times, we don't just need you in certain seasons, we need you every day. And as we depend on you, Jesus, We grow in our intimacy with you that you created us for from the very beginning. In your name we pray, amen.